we started off this chapter with something amazing. The author of us said like this, you're feeling weighed down, you're feeling tired, you're fatigued, you're worn down from life. Listen, you think about this, you're going to be infused with incredible joy. And he put it in just a few words. He said, you want to be full of joy? Think about the idea of Hashem's true unity. One sentence, Hashem's true unity. That's it. Think about his unity. You're going to experience true joy. Sounds good enough. But if you don't know what it means, then you're not going to experience the joy. So he started to spell it out for us. He started to spell out what it means that there's truly no other existence besides for Hashem. Yes, a world has been created. Yes, we've been made, but there really has been no change in Hashem before the world was created to after the world was created. And he explained to us that when things are contained within their source, they have no separate identity. All that there is is the source. For example, the letters, the words, while they're still in, within the essence of the soul, are they there? They're there, but they have no separate existence. All there is is the essence of the soul. And what about the light of the sun while it's still within the body of the sun? Is it there? Of course it's there. Not only is it there, it's more powerful than once it has emerged from the sun. And yet when it's within the sun, there is no other existence besides for the sun. Well, that's us. There really is no other existence besides for Hashem because we still exist within our source. Now, in this section over here, the altar is going to bring it home for us. What does this mean? And why does this fill us with incredible joy? And just yesterday, I heard a story. This was from Rabbi Zalman Guppin. I was listening to a recording of his in Eretz Yisrael. And he said he heard the story from Rabbi Simcha Gorodetsky. So there was this historian that came to them in Moscow. And a Jewish guy... And he said, look, I'm a historian. I do things very authentically. When I write some things up, I need to get a feel of the people, the culture, the mentality. And then I write. Otherwise, it's like, you know, I don't, it's going to be an outsider's view. It's not going to be authentic. I have to first get a feel of the people and then I can write. Like, for example, I did something on ancient Chinese people. So what did I do? I first moved to China for two or three years. I got to know the people. I got to understand their mentality, their way of life. And then I wrote. Now, I'm interested about your group of Hasidim, the Chabad Hasidim. And I heard that there's a group of you who live in Moscow. I want to come settle with you for a little. I want to get to know your culture. I want to get to know your mentality. I want this to be authentic. I'm not here to get close to Judaism. I'm not trying to take on anything. I'm here strictly as a historian who wants to keep an authentic voice. And they said, okay, no problem. You know, they welcomed him in. We'll teach you. We'll teach you the, the writings of the Alter Rebbe. We're going to study in the synagogue. So we just ask that, you know, as proper etiquette, respect for the synagogue, just please uh, put on a kippah when we study. And fair enough. That's only right. You know, you study in the synagogue, you put on a kippah. Okay, and time moved on. And then... They said, you know, well, we want to explain something to you. If you really want to get these ideas, you have to be ritually pure. And you understand that when you sleep, there's a certain level of ritual impurity that overtakes a person. And so we are requesting that before we study in the morning, please wash Natilat Yadayim. And he said, okay. He thought that was a fair. And then they said, you know what? Listen, we're studying Hasidus. This is about Hashem. In the morning, 
we are so grateful to Hashem that he gave us our neshama back. We, here are the special blessings that we say. Thank you for reviving us. Just to show gratitude, we're requesting before we study, you know, you show this gratitude to Hashem. We're studying about him. And he said, okay. And then one day they said, okay, we'd like you to put on tefillin. And he said, oh no, <laughs> I am not putting on tefillin. I told you right from the start, I'm here as a historian. I'm not here to do teshuva. I'm not here to come closer to Yiddishkeit. I just need to have a feel of the mentality, a feel of the culture. I'm willing to follow etiquette. I understand it's polite to wear a kippah. I understand I should watch Natilat Yadayim. These are, you know, special gestures of respect. When you're asking me to put on tefillin, this is getting already too personal. I will not be putting on tefillin. I'm sorry. They said, that's okay. You know, I understand you're uncomfortable, but we're not going to study with you. And he said, fine. But then after a few days, he wanted to study. So he said, okay, fine. I'll put on tefillin. Now, the man who was telling the story, the rabbi who was telling the story, Rabbi Simcha Gorodetsky, said that at this point, he left Moscow for a year and a half or two. And I don't know where he went. He came back again, like two years later. And he sees the guy, and he has beard. He's wearing a kippah. And he comes over to him, and he starts up with him. And he said, what happened to you? What is the matter with you? Didn't you say you're not becoming a chassid? So the man shot back at him. You know, you start up with me, I'll start up with you. He said, you consider yourself a chassid, and you don't understand what happened? He said, I'm studying these writings of the Alter Rebbe. You know what the Alter Rebbe did? Let me explain for you what the Alter Rebbe did. The Alter Rebbe took the highest of the high and he brought it down to the lowest of the low. You start studying the essence of creation. You realize that all of creation exists just from a glimmer of light that's from the Mali Kol Amun, the light that fills all worlds. And what is that light? That light is just but a glimmer of the light that encompasses all worlds. But both these lights, the light that fills all worlds, the light that encompasses all worlds, are nothing compared to the essence of Hashem. There is no being, not in the lower worlds, and not in the higher worlds, not even the highest supernal angels that can grasp His essence. And yet, when a Jew in this world fulfills a mitzvah, what does he do? He grasps the very essence of Hashem. How could I not do a mitzvah? How could I not come closer to Hashem? So this is really what happens in the Tanya. We get to understand that, yes, Hashem transcends everything. And nothing has any value or significance, any importance before Him. And yet, we get to grasp His essence through, through the rope that He threw us with Torah and mitzvot. So here we are. And the altar is saying, look, I'm going to bring the joy home for you. We are on the bottom of page four. Now, when one contemplates deeply and at length on this matter of Hashem's true unity, his heart will rejoice with this faith. His soul will be gladdened by it to the point of rejoicing and singing with all his heart, soul, and might. So yes, you understand the ideas, but you know when it registered, when you're suddenly filled with joy. You know, you, you, I can tell you something, you can get it, yeah, 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 and then you go about your day, it means it didn't hit home. Like if I come over to you and I say, hey, Sheila, you won the $500 million lottery, and you say, okay, I, I'm going to go make dinner now, talk to you in a bit. 
I know you didn't understand what I just said. It's like, woohoo, did you hear what I said? $500 million. If you're thinking about this idea, if we are thinking about this idea of Hashem's unity, and then it's like back to business as usual. Oh yeah, I have to deal with this. I have to deal with that. Hello, you didn't hear what I just said. Something amazing is going to happen to us when we realize the idea of Hashem's true unity. Suddenly our hearts are going to burst forth with joy and gladness and singing. The author of it continues. Ki rabahi, ki hi kirvas elekim mamish. For this faith is tremendous. When it fills one's mind, it actually constitutes an experience of the closeness of Hashem. When we get it, we are so close, closer than close to Hashem. And these ideas can be somewhat confounding and a person will study these ideas and say, okay, I get it, I'm nothing and the world is nothing and everything is nothing before Hashem. The ideas are not just to make us feel nothing. The ideas are to make us feel utter closeness to Him, that we should feel Hashem's proximity. The nothingness is only the step to feel the closeness. The Alter Rebbe in a mimer in Lakote Tyre writes these most amazing words about understanding how Hashem is so beyond us and how this does not make us far from Him, but rather it makes us utterly, utterly close. And I'm going to read you his words. He says like this. Hashem's exaltedness is not a distancing from us, God forbid. To the contrary, that is closeness to us. Since all is null in front of Him and all is as nothing before Him, there is no separation. When we get it, it's not just I'm nothing. It means Hashem is so close. Nothing at all separates us. And the altar of us says, that, what, what makes you so happy over here? What makes you so joy? He says it's tremendous. Ki rabahi is tremendous because this constitutes actual closeness to Hashem. Now, constituting actual closeness to Hashem is just uh, really the purpose of our creation. And this is what the altar explains right now. You know, people go through life and they're always asking, well, why was I created? What's my purpose? I need to fulfill my life's mission. And we all have an individual mission, that's for sure. But let's not forget the overarching ultimate mission of all of humanity. And that is to create a dwelling place for him below. And we're going to understand that when this idea resonates deeply within us, we fulfill the purpose of all of creation. We hit home. That's bingo. That's the reason why we were made. This, in fact, is the whole purpose of man and the purpose for which he and all the worlds, both upper and lower, were created. That God should have a dwelling place here below, as will be explained further at length. How this earthly abode for God is the purpose of all creation. So the Midrash tells us that when Hashem created the world, He desired to have a dwelling place below. Let's unpack this sentence. What does it mean, a dwelling place? Well, think about the place where you're the most yourself. You know, you have to act one way at work. And another way when you're shopping, and even another way when you're on the phone with your friend. 
But then there's a place where you're just yourself. There's no limits. There's no inhibition. You just feel comfortable. You can totally express yourself. That's home. Well, Hashem is everywhere. But when he created the worlds, he created as if there's higher and lower. There is no higher and lower. This is something that we explore at, at length in chapter 36. To Hashem, everything is equal. But what does it mean lower? Lower is a place where there is no natural recognition of Hashem. Lower means that there are beings, there are entities which consider themselves as though they were separate and apart from Hashem. That's lower. And what did Hashem desire? That in this space of lower, and lower includes us beings of the lower world, who have a consciousness that makes us feel as though we are separate from Him. We have a separate consciousness. We feel like we're independent. We feel like we have a separate ego. The world seems to be an entity apart. And yet, when we allow Hashem in, when we give Him expression, we recognize Him in these lowest realms, what happens? He has a home here. That's what home means. Home means that He is given full expression. So it's the lowest realms where naturally He is not recognized and He wants to be home there that he will be recognized, that suddenly we see through everything and we see the truth that there's nothing else besides Hashem. There's a story of the Katzke Rebbe that he once walked over to some of his chassidim and said, tell me, where is Hashem? Where is Hashem? Where is God? The Rebbe is asking his chassidim, like, what, what a question. Actually, when he was a little boy, somebody once offered him a coin. He said, I'll give you a coin if you tell me where Hashem is. And he said, and I'll give you two if you tell me where he's not. So this little boy grows up to be the Katzgareb and he poses this question to his chassidim. Where is Hashem? And they say, Hashem is everywhere. And he says, Hashem is wherever you let him in. Yes, Hashem is everywhere. But where is he manifest? He's manifest when we become aware of him. He's manifest where we let him in. And this is the purpose of all creation. The purpose of all creation is that we're born with these veils. Everything is like a riddle and a maze. But suddenly we become aware of the all-pervading truth that there is nothing else besides Hashem. And when Hashem pervades our mind, our hearts, and our consciousness, that means He has an abode within us. Within us, lower beings of this lowest world. That means we have effectively made Him a home in the lowest realms, and that was the reason why He created everything. And therefore, we fulfill the purpose of all creation. Imagine, Hashem created heavens and earth and everything in between, the vast galaxies, the supernal angels that we cannot even fathom. And they all have a purpose. The purpose is that Hashem should have a dwelling place in the lowest realms. And we manage to fulfill this purpose when we come to recognize Him. So does it take effort? Yeah, it takes effort. We have to think about the ideas. We have to bring them home. But when we get it, first of all, the sign that we got it, the litmus test, the evidence and proof is when we suddenly have an explosion of joy. Yeah, you can study it, but if you didn't feel the joy, it means it didn't hit home. When suddenly we get it, when suddenly we realize that there's nothing else besides Hashem, we suddenly experience such close proximity to Him. The Alter Rebbe says, this is Kirvas Elikim Mamish, actual closest to Hashem. And that brings a person incredible joy. Now the author is going to explain this joy so that we understand in the 
terms of, you know, what would happen in a human experience. Let's look at this in a different setting and understand the joy. Man's faith in the unity of God fulfills this goal. For when's God, when God's unity is revealed in the mind and heart of men, this world becomes an abode for God. He is revealed there just as one reveals himself completely in his own home. And now the author is going to explain and illustrate this experience of joy. Vihine, kama gedayla simchas hedyait ishvala nashim bizkarvusait lamelech basar vadam. How great is the joy of a common and lowly person who, when he is brought close to a king of flesh and blood. So look, here's a person who's not just common, common meaning he has no naturally special gifts, but he's also lowly. That means he's uncouth, he's coarse, he's unrefined. Really like the, the lowest parts of society, okay? Think about this person. And suddenly he is given closeness to the king. We don't really have experience with kings in our time. You know, we think of famous people and those are the people that we give importance to. But a person who, let's say, had a meeting with the president, shook his hands and exchanged a few words and took a picture together, that becomes like a highlight in his life. That's something that he hangs on the wall. He wants to show people. I had this exchange of closeness with the president. I shook hands with him. You just think of a very famous person, somebody who you admire, a person with great power, and they have closeness to you. They exchanged words with you. You had a conversation. They stood next to you. They gave you an arm. This is something amazing. Now, this is just, we don't even have really a paradigm of a king of the olden days. But think about the king in the olden days. A king in the olden days was somebody who had the power of life and death in his hands. He had true dominion over the public. He was so high above everybody else, so aloof, so exalted. And yet this humble and lowly person had the experience of closeness with the king of being able to have a conversation with him, standing close to him, experiencing some type of relationship, how happy this person would be. And it gets more. Hamas Achsein, who furthermore lodges. So it's not just that they shook hands and exchanged a couple of words. The king said, you know what? I want to see the night at your house. I want to come stay over. <laughs> Imagine the joy of a simple person who has nothing to do with nobility. And the king says, I want to stay over. He would be ecstatic. He wouldn't even be able to think of himself. He'd be so overjoyed. And it gets even more. Vidar Itai, and greater still, dwells together with him. This is not just I'm staying the night. This is I'm moving in with you. Yes, you're a simple person. There's nothing special about you. Your house is a mess. Your housekeeping skills are terrible. Your children don't behave. And I'm staying at your house and I'm moving in with you. And I don't care how your house looks. That's fine. I'm staying with you. However it is. The joy is enormous. Not in the king's palace, but in his, the commoner's home. So look at this arrangement. Here is somebody who is so distant, so removed from anything of nobility, of importance. And then the king, who is at the very top of society, comes and says, shows closeness, shakes hands, has a conversation, then says, I'm staying over, and then says, I'm moving in with you, and I'm not that I'm bringing you to my palace, but I'm coming to your home, and I'm staying with you right over there as you are. This is exactly what happens when we become cognizant of Hashem's all-pervading presence. It's not about us transcending. 
It's not about us leaving and exiting the animal soul. This is not even about us digging deeper. It's just about us letting Hashem in. And then as wanting as we are, as lowly as we are, Hashem is with us the way we are. Nothing changed about us. We still have all our flaws and imperfections. But when we come to recognize Him, and we are aware that there's nothing else besides Him, He suddenly pervades our consciousness. He is genuinely instilled deeply in our mind and in our hearts. And that hap- when that happens, that means we experience actual closeness to Him so that He moved in with us. He lives with us. He didn't bring us to His palace. Even the way we keep house is fine. He's staying with us in our house. The joy is enormous. The joy is unbelievable to think that we have this privilege. And the altar is going to say, if you think this is a joy for a simple and lowly person, take it over to Hashem. Think of what this is like when we're talking about not just a mortal king, but Hashem. V'kal v'chaymer, le'en kate, kirvas v'diras melech malche hamlachem akadish baruchu. How much more, infinitely more, one ought one to rejoice in the nearness of the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be He, and in His dwelling together with man in this physical world, man's home. So if we think this is like a great thing that happened to this guy, the simple lowly person who the king moves in with him, we don't even recognize the infinite joy that there is in Hashem, who is the most, who is infinite. We cannot compare to Him. And yet he dwells with us in this physical, lowly world, in our consciousness and in our minds. When we get it, we just explode with joy. It literally takes us over and it becomes something that fills in everything in our life. You don't go back to business as usual when something huge and amazing happens to you. It expresses itself everywhere. When we get it, that we think about this idea. Okay, so stop for a minute. We think about this idea that there's really nothing else besides Hashem. We can contemplate the huge galaxies, the heavens, the oceans, the worlds we cannot see. And yet they have no independent existence outside of Hashem. Really all there is is Hashem. When we get it, we suddenly nullify to Hashem. We become null, a non-entity to this truth. And becoming a non-entity, again, is not about that we bashed or crushed ourselves. We suddenly acquiesce. We give in to the essence that really is who we are. We suddenly allow Hashem to be manifest through us. When that happens, that we become aware of the absolute truth that there's nothing else besides Hashem, we experience actual closeness to Him. And when we experience actual closeness to Him, we give purpose to all of creation because that's why it was all created. It was all created for this reason, that us in this world of veils and masks comes to realize the actual truth, the absolute truth, that there's nothing else besides Hashem. And this is even more than a simple and lowly person who has a king come visit with him, a king stay over the night, a king move into his house. How much greater is our joy that Hashem moved in with us? As we are, flawed and all, He comes and pervades our consciousness and we experience actual closeness to Him. And Al-Torba now brings an expression, brings a verse from the Navi Yirmiya. 
to explain because really we, we can't even fathom it. The infinite, awesome Hashem who nobody can reach. Somehow we have this relationship with him. So it is written, for who is the man who dares to approach me, says Hashem. So the Navi Yermia says like this, And I will bring him near and he shall approach me. For who is it that dares to engage his heart to approach me, says Hashem. We cannot approach Hashem. Logically, it makes no sense. What are we compared to him? He is infinite and we are finite. We are mortal beings and he is everything. And yet, while we cannot approach him, vihikravtiv, and I will bring him near. Hashem could bring us near, and he does. He allows us to experience him. And for this experience alone, we burst out into joy. We have to take these two thoughts together. The first thought is the ultimate reverence that we have. The awesomeness and infinity of Hashem. We can't even fathom Hashem. Okay? And then we think about the fact that our soul is in close, intimate, constant communion with him. Okay? So thought number one is Hashem is infinite. Hashem is awesome. Hashem is beyond our mind. No one can dare approach him. Thought number two is our soul is intimately close with him, is in constant communion with him. What is the sum total of this equation? Absolute joy. We can't reach out to him. And yet he reaches down, infinitely down towards us, grabs him, cl- grabs us close and has a relationship with us. He comes to live with us in our house. He doesn't stay just for the night. He's moving in. The joy is incredible. Okay, so let me just sum up what we said until now and then we're going to move on to this next section. So until now, we said, look, we talked about the idea of Hashem's unity. Well, now think about it. Bring it home. You know the joy of a lowly and common person who has the king come and stay with him? Well, we experience the actual closeness of Hashem when it registers, when we get it, that all there is is him. And this is more than a king coming and staying over. This is Hashem himself moving in with us as we are, flaws and all, into our consciousness. Nobody can reach out to the infinite. And yet Hashem reaches down to us. And for that, there is incredible joy. Now, as we move to this next section, uh, let's just introduce it with the following. Okay, so based on what we learned until now, we would think that pretty much anybody with a brain in their head can come to experience the actual closeness to Hashem. There's like an equation. You first meditate. You think about these ideas very deeply. You can take all the logical proofs that the Alter Rebbe gave us at the beginning of the chapter. You can look for more throughout mystical teachings. You sit with it. You picture it in your mind until it becomes so real to you. When it becomes that real to you, you know what happens? You nullify to that. You lose an independent sense of self and you realize that there's nothing else besides for Hashem. And again, this is the greatest joy, you know, contrary to popular belief that having a great sense of self is the way to get joy. Actually, the greatest way to get joy is not having that sense of self and feeling the infinite. So the person feels the infinite, they experience a direct closeness to Hashem. They have a direct experience with Hashem. And we would think that this is available to everybody. 
it's not available to everybody. And as Jewish people, it's often hard for us to hear that. We think that we're just like everybody else. And don't point us out for being Jewish. This is what got us in trouble all along throughout history. Well, guess what? Jewish people are different. Because even the most refined, intellectual, gifted, non-Jewish person who will study these ideas can logically come to recognize it. But they will not feel it. It will not resonate. And the reason why is because Hashem created this world in a way of contraction and concealment. The natural default setting of this world is that it does not recognize Hashem. And us two Jewish people, human beings, as human beings, we don't naturally recognize Hashem. But we have this ability that when we think about it, when we meditate, when we connect mind and soul, suddenly it can resonate. It can be something that literally seeps into our mind seeps into our heart, pervades our consciousness, and suddenly it resonates with us. We feel it. There's nothing else besides Hashem. We nullify to that. Other people can understand it, but it will not resonate. I want to show you something very interesting. This is the famous Muller liar lines. So you see these lines? Many people are familiar with this. Okay, so these lines... I might ask you which ones are bigger and which ones are smaller. And you will tell me which ones look bigger and which ones look smaller. The fact is, all these lines are the same size. Now, if you've seen this before, so here, just for anybody who's listening to the podcast, I'm going to describe it. Some of these lines have tails that extend outward. And some of these lines have tails that come inward. The ones whose tails come inward look like they're smaller. And the ones whose tails protrude outward look like they're bigger, but actually they're all the same size. Now, once we know it, and I'm going to show it to you, and I'm going to say, hey, Regina, tell me which line is bigger. You're going to say, ah, they're all the same size. But in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman explains that people don't actually feel that the lines are the same size. Now, look at it. It's still going to look bigger, and those are still going to look smaller. They just correct themselves based on what they know. So does it resonate that they're all the same size? It doesn't. You're going to feel like these are bigger, these are smaller, but then intellectually, rationally, you correct yourself. That's how it is with people who study the idea of the unity of Hashem. They can understand intellectually, it will make perfect sense to them, but their natural perception will not feel it. Their natural perception will always feel like there's an independent entity. I am separate from Hashem but they will correct themselves but based on what they logically know to be true. Just like these lines, you will still think that these are bigger and these are smaller. You will just correct yourself because based on the evidence, you'll measure them. You'll know they're all the same. You'll say they're all the same, but you won't feel it. The only person who can actually feel it within whom it resonates is the Jewish person. And that's because we have a divine soul that has a direct experience of Hashem. Now for us Jewish people, who a lot of us cannot handle being pointed out as being different. I want to read you some quotes from some famous non-Jewish people who clearly recognized that Jewish people were different and pointed them out for that. Leo, Tois Leo Tolstoy. This is the end of an essay. The Jew is eternal. He is the embodiment of eternity. Non-Jewish person looking at the Jewish person and saying, there's something different about Jewish people. Here's from Winston Churchill. Some people like Jews and some do not. 
but no thoughtful man can deny the fact that they are, beyond any question, the most formidable and the most remarkable race which has appeared in the world. And think about the famous words of Mark Twain. All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? And there's many, many other quotes from non-Jewish thinkers and philosophers who recognized with great admiration that there was something different about the Jewish people. They couldn't put a finger on it. They didn't know what it was, but they knew that there's something different. There's something eternal. And that is the divine soul. The Altarabah spells out very clearly. He teaches us from the Kabbalah, what does it mean that a Jewish person is different? A Jewish person has a different soul. Literally an experience of the divine. And a person who converts gets this soul when they convert. But not just that. It's an interesting term that is employed when we talk about a convert. It says Gershon is Geyer, a convert that converted. What does it mean a convert that converted? Why don't we say a non-Jew that converted? Because ultimately a convert actually had this potential of the divine soul within them and it becomes manifest when they go to the mikvah. So a person who converts and becomes Jewish has this experience of the divine soul just as any other Jewish person. And this is something that they were actually born with, this potential that actualized when they go through the proper kosher conversion. Just because I know that uh, Jewish people get uncomfortable when we say we're different, I felt like we have to point out the fact that this is something that's easily recognizable. It's a fact of life and embrace it and realize that it's a responsibility as Jewish people. We are the light unto the nations. We having this divine consciousness have to spread it to the rest of the world. It's not just a badge that we wear on our shoulder. I'm Jewish and I'm different and I'm special. I'm Jewish and I have a mission. And that is to establish the world in the kingdom of Hashem. So here we are. And we're looking at this next section of the Tanya. For this ability to experience and to be absorbed in God's unity, it was instituted by the sages that one should render praise and thanks to Hashem's name each morning, saying, How fortunate are we! How good is our portion! How pleasant our lot! And how beautiful our heritage! So every morning, this is in the morning prayers, before the actual Pesuket de Zimra, there's like a section of different prayers that we say, uh, thanking Hashem. And one of these is the praise. We're saying, how fortunate are we? How good is our portion? How pleasant is our lot? How beautiful our heritage? Actually, in continuation of this prayer, it says, fortunate are we that we are able to say the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elkeinu, Hashem Echad, morning and evening. We are thanking Hashem for the ability to recognize His oneness. Recognize His oneness means it's something that could be assimilated within us so that we, it resonates deeply. We truly recognize it. It's something that hits home and we can actually feel it, that there's nothing else besides Hashem. There's this incredible story of the Alter Rebbe where he went fundraising because the Jews were being expelled from the countrysides and the villages of Poland. They started to make these crazy decrees. At one point, a lot of the Jewish population lived in Poland and they were owning inns and that's how they were making their money. They were doing different things in the villages and suddenly they all were pouring in homeless to the cities because they were being evicted. And so the Alta Rebbe went fundraising to collect money to bribe the officials and let them back to their homes for stability. So he comes to the town of Tolchin, 
where the Baal Shem Tov's grandson lived, Rabbi Baruch. And he sees him fundraising. And he says, I don't understand. Are you really fundraising for this cause? Such a mundane thing. How about you just teach our Jews what, our, what my grandfather taught us about Echad? How about you just teach the Jewish people what the Baal Shem Tov taught us? Echad. And that will take care of all the decrees. You understand the Baal Shem Tov's Echad, what he taught us in Echad, is not, is just, is not just that there's no other God, but that the, all that there is, is Hashem. Again, this is not the Baal Shem Tov's invention. This is something that the Baal Shem Tov made a principle to make every single Jewish person understand that Hashem is all that there is. This is it. There's nothing else besides Hashem. It says straight out in the Torah, in Od Melvada, there's nothing else besides Hashem. It's just that people lost focus of what it means. There's really nothing else besides Hashem. So the Alter Rebbe looks at Rabbi Baruch and says, actually, it's your grandfather's Echad that is causing us all of these problems. And he said that 300 years ago, when the Jews were expelled from Spain, they were traveling from country to country in Europe, and all those money-hungry European kings would not let the Jewish people into the country. And it was kind of crazy. You love money, right? Why don't you take the Jews? They're going to give you a lot of money. They're going to bribe you. A lot of them were managed to save a lot of their wealth when they were being expelled, and they wouldn't. And finally, the king of Poland allowed for the Jews to move in, and he took a lot of money from them. He took the tallest knight, put him on a handsome steed, he stood there with the lance and the Jews piled money high up until it reached the tip of the lance. Now the altar explained, why did this happen? This happened because of what was unfolding in the heavens. When the Jewish people were expelled from Spain, the reason why none of the money-hungry European kings did not allow them to settle in the land was because their spiritual source, their sar, up in heaven, didn't want Jews living within that energy. Because they said, if Jewish people come here, they're going to manifest the idea that Hashem Echad, that Hashem is one. And we're going to disintegrate. We don't want Jews here. So the kings refused the Jews. But the Tsar, the, the ministering angel of Poland said, no, 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 no. I'll take the Jews. I do understand that they're going to set up a house of Torah. I do understand that they're going to set up a house of prayer. But when they're going to scream Hashem Echad, they're not going to really be proclaiming Hashem's greatness. They're going to be proclaiming their own piety. And when they do that, that flawed energy is going to come to me and it's going to enhance me. And so I'll take them. Let them scream Hashem Achad. That's good. Give me more spiritual energy. The Alter Rebbe turns to Rabbi Baruch and says, do you understand that when your grandfather explained Hashem Achad and Jews started to scream the real Hashem Achad, the Tsar of Poland started to get nervous. And he said, no, no, I accepted the Jews on the terms of the old Echad, not the new Echad. And that's why they're starting to evict the Jews from all those locales. And so we don't want to give up on your grandfather's Echad. So we're, we're just going to fundraise. <laughs> we're going to pour more money. It looks, like, it looks like a mundane act, but this is what we're going to do in order to preserve your grandfather's Echad. So we have to understand that screaming Hashem Echad in this way and knowing that there's nothing else besides Hashem is huge. This is what all the ministering angels are afraid of because ultimately this gives voice to the fact that there's nothing else besides Hashem and that will chase darkness out of the world.
So the author will now explain why this faith is an inheritance and why we thank Hashem every single day for it. We're on the top of page six. Kilaimar. Kimaisha Adam Sas Vesameach Biarusha Shanafalai Hain Asek Shalai Amabai. In other words, just as a person rejoices and is glad when an immense fortune falls into his possession by inheritance through no, no toil of his own. So, you know, you have a huge amount of money. You could have earned it painstakingly and over time. And while you're grateful for the money that you earned, you do feel like you deserved it. But then if you get this huge fortune without having worked for it at all, suddenly you're overcome with just pure, simple joy. It doesn't feel like you deserved it. You got this incredible treasure just as a gift and you're filled with joy and gratitude. A person will be filled with joy and gratitude in such a situation? Well, Cain for Yaiser me Cain le in Kate's Similarly, and infinitely more so, ought to we rejoice over the inheritance which our forefathers bequeathed to us. So we learned earlier in Tana, in chapter 2, we understood that the divine soul is literally a part of the divine. And in chapter 18, we understood that this is an inheritance that's bequeathed to us by our holy forefathers. Because of the way that they served Hashem, totally nullifying themselves to Him, they were gifted to bequeath to their children after them a holy divine soul. This is an inheritance. We didn't work for it. It's worth more than any fortune. And yet it just fell into our laps, as it were, without us having to work for it at all. What is this inheritance? This inheritance is the true unity of Hashem. That even here below on earth, there is nothing else besides Him alone. And this is his abode among the, low, the lowly beings of this physical world when they are pervaded by the awareness of Hashem's unity and nullify themselves before it. So Jewish people have this unique ability to nullify to the oneness of Hashem. We have this unique inheritance of a divine soul that allows us to directly experience the divine and allow it to literally, literally resonate within us so that we feel it and that we are nullified to it. This ability we didn't work for, this ability came to us as an inheritance from our forefathers. Now we need to understand that even though every single Jew has a divine soul and every single Jew naturally believes in Hashem, doesn't mean we feel it. We have to work to feel it. What we got is the inheritance is the ability to totally understand and become aware and cognizant of the fact that all there is is Hashem. We have this unique ability to directly experience the actual closeness of Hashem. Our inheritance is that we have a divine soul within us that allows this idea of Hashem's oneness to resonate within us, the ability. But to come there, we have to work for it. All Jewish people are believers. But do all Jewish people walk around in this days that there's nothing else besides him? No, we have to study. We have to allow it to seep into our consciousness. We have to work for it. And this is, reminds us of the words of the Holy Shalah. He writes like this, this is from last week's parsha. The Jewish people were crossing the Yamsuf. They're praising Hashem. They're singing the song, Az Yasher Moshe, the song that Moshe sang with the Jewish people. And they say, Zekeli ve'anvehu. That means this is my God and I will make an abode for him. The God of my fathers and I will ascribe exaltation to him. The Shalah says like this, look at the words. 
Zach Haley, when this is my God, the God that I work hard to understand and develop a relationship with him, then it's ve'anvehu. Literally translated, it means I will create an abode for him. But look at the words ve'anvehu. It's ani vahu, I and he in one word. When it is my God, the God that I work hard to have a relationship with, the God that I work hard to meditate upon and bring the idea home that there's nobody else besides him, then it's Ani Vahu. I and he were literally fused into one. If it's Eloke Avi, the God of my father, then it's Va'arome Menhu. I will ascribe exaltation to him. He is distant. He is removed from me. So yes, he is the God of my father, but if it's just the belief that we inherited without working hard to ingest it and literally allow it to pervade us and to resonate within the very essence of our being, then it's, yeah, he's the God of my fathers. And then I ascribe exaltation to him. But when it's my God, the God that I work hard to develop a relationship with, the God that I meditate on and under, come to understand that really there's nothing else besides him, then it's ve'anvehu. Then it's ani vahu. He and I are totally fused into one. I'm going to just wrap up what we said until now. And we said like this. <clears throat> when a person will contemplate deeply about this idea of Hashem's unity, his heart will be filled with joy to the point of singing and dancing with all his heart, soul, and might. Because this is tremendous. This constitutes the actual closest to Hashem, that Hashem has a dwelling place within our very consciousness. When we understand this, when it resonates with us, when it becomes so deep and genuine within us, we have created an abode for him and he comes to dwell with us. We experience his actual closeness. Now think about it. How great is the joy of a simple and lowly person that the king shows closeness to, that the king comes to stay over, that the king comes to move in with? Well, the king of all kings, the infinite and awesome Hashem comes to dwell with us within the recesses of our, our heart, within our consciousness, within our flaws. He comes to live with us when we recognize him. And for this ability to nullify to Hashem and recognize him and allow him to pervade our consciousness, we praise Hashem every day. It's not something that we worked for. It's something that we got as an inheritance. Somebody who gets a tremendous gift of wealth as an inheritance will be so happy. Well, we got something much more than that. We got the ability to totally experience the divine. And for that, every single day we thank Hashem. This is the gift that they gave us. Our, our, our forefathers gave us the gift that we can recognize Hashem's true unity, that we can understand that Hashem is truly present here. So this is the end of class today, and I'm opening up for questions and discussion.